Good evening. <clears throat> so we think about idols. When one ceases to worship God, does he or she worship nothing? Thought question you might seek to answer tonight. Does a hard heart come as a sentence for idolatry? Why do some people hear but never understand? Does one who trusts in idols become like them? I might ask it again. Does one who trusts in heart idols become like them? Andrew Carnegie became one of the wealthiest men in the world when his steel company, the forerunner of U.S. Steel, became the most profitable enterprise in the world. Early on in his success, at age 33, Carnegie took a ruthless evaluation of his own heart and produced a note to self, memorandum, and I quote, man must have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol more debasing than the worship of money. Whatever I engage in, I must push inordinately. Therefore, should I be careful to choose a life which will be the most elevating in character. To continue much longer overwhelmed by business cares and with most of my thoughts wholly on the way to make more money in the shortest time must degrade me beyond hope of permanent recovery. I will resign business at age 35, but during the ensuing two years, I wish to spend the afternoons in securing instruction and in reading systematically." End of quote. The candor and self-knowledge of this note is remarkable, and one of his biographers, Joseph Fraser, commented, neither Rockefeller nor Ford nor Morgan could have written this note nor would they have understood the man who did. Nevertheless, despite his insight into his own heart, Carnegie obviously did not resign business two years later. And many of the very character-degrading effects he feared worked themselves out in his life. Although Carnegie built 2,059 libraries, a steel worker speaking for many, told an interviewer, we didn't want him to build a library for us. We would rather have had a higher wage. At that time, steelworkers worked 12-hour shifts on floors so hot they had to nail wooden platforms under their shoes. Every two weeks, they toiled an inhuman 24-hour shift, and then they got their sole day off. The best housing they could afford was crowded and filthy. Most died in their 40s or earlier from accidents or disease. What is an idol? Just a couple comments on what might possibly be an idol. An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, our minds, and affections more than God more than Christ. 
Thus we sin because we're not satisfied in God and in Christ. Sin is what we choose when we chase after something or someone other than God and Christ. And I would pose a question concerning heart idols. How many of us are willing to do without the media for the next month? Or do we have to have it? And where do we find our joy and satisfaction? How many of us in the last month have admitted we're wrong and sought forgiveness? Or do we have the heart idol having to be right? Another comment on definition of an idol. Anyone or anything which takes a place of total, complete joy and contentment and satisfaction in Christ alone. Now list a couple of scriptures there. In other words, a lack of contentment in Christ alone. How tempted we are to say, God, I got to feel better physically now. And we become demanding. And feeling better physically ends up ruling our lives. Or we demand that a relational problem get fixed. And that becomes the passion of our life. Or we think a child has to walk with God, and if they don't walk with God, they just consume our minds. When we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We worship anything. When we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We'll worship anything. A couple foundational premises in what we discussed tonight. One who makes idols and trust in idols becomes like them. That includes hard idols. One who makes idols and trust in idols becomes like them. Hardening of the heart comes as a sentence for idolatry. Hardening of the heart comes as a sentence for idolatry. People who pra practice idolatry come to the point of hearing but never understanding, seeing but never perceiving. And if you're going to understand idolatry, you almost have to go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we won't go there tonight. And then look at Israel and some of what happened in Israel. If you're going to understand what happens with idolatry. Remember, the passages we will deal, discuss tonight deal with Israel. The people whom the Lord redeemed from Egypt. They are his chosen people. Now stop and think in light of the passages we will discuss that we're discussing God's redeemed people who came out of Egypt. He redeemed them with great power, but yet they drifted. Let's go to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. <clears throat> Again, we're dealing with Israel. Psalm 115. 
And we'll read the entire psalm and comment just briefly along the way. Psalm 115, beginning with verse 1. Now to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and those who trust in them, and all who trust in them. Now notice in verse 4, but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor they can, can they utter a sound with their throat. Those who make them will be like them. Those who follow idols will have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, and so on, because they become like their idols. And those who trust in them, the same thing. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord both now and forever, or both now and forever more. Praise the Lord. Contrasting the Lord with the idols in Psalm 115. Now let's go over to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. <clears throat> Begin with verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great and that our God is greater than all the gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of men and animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Shiho, king of Am Amorites, O king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. And he gave their land as an inheritance 
inheritance to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. You're renowned, O Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Now, to this point, the psalmist has been exalting God and pointing out God and his greatness. In contrast, verse 15, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but they cannot hear, nor is their breath in their mouths. Those who made them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, praise the Lord. O house of Aaron, praise the Lord. O house of Levi, praise the Lord. You who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise be to the Lord from Zion. To him who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Again, a contrast between the Lord and idols. And he clearly says, idols are made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, and so on. And those who make them will be like them. The idols that Israel worshipped, the idols that the nations around them worshipped, they became like their idols. And the same is true today. Sometimes we look at the world and we say, how can people be the way they are? Because they're like their idols. We look at our nation sometimes and we say, why is our nation where it is? Because we have become like our idols. See, those who make idols will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, we find that the Lord is giving to Moses what we call the Ten Commandments. And keep in mind that the Ten Commandments came with God displaying his power. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was a thick cloud over the mountain, a loud trumpet blast. The Mount, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. And the Lord descended in it in fire. And the mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder. And we know that the Lord gave what we call the Ten Commandments to the Lord, or to Israel. And in chapter 20 and verse 1, and the Lord spoke all these words, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That statement is critical to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. I'm Jehovah. I'm the independent self-existing one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The Ten Commandments express God's will and character. And they're given to Israel with an attempt to make Israel like the Lord. 
The more Israel would obey the Ten Commandments and related commands, the more they would become like the Lord. And he says in verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the water below. We know when you get to Exodus chapter 32 that Aaron made a golden calf. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You look in Deuteronomy in the context of worship, God talks about the fact that he is jealous. <coughs> and the idea of jealousy is that God wants people, he wanted Israel to give all their worship to him. He didn't want the people to share their worship with anyone. The Lord wanted it all. He had redeemed his people. From his jealousy, he says, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Don't make an idol. Don't bow down to them or worship them. The Lord says, I'm a jealous God. Do you ever consider that the people who went into captivity to Babylon from Judah and those who were taken captive by Assyria from Israel, the northern tribes, was not due to the sin of the people that went into captivity. It was due to the sin of their grandparents and great-grandparents. He clearly says, I'm a jealous God, and the idolatry will result in the sin of the fathers to the third and to the fourth generation. Edward Mandors, in his book, Idolatry and the Hardening of the Heart, says, and I quote, when conformity to God's character did not occur, divine discipline took over. <coughs> Excuse me. God punished not only the idolaters, but also their descendants. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. The foremost command thus possess positive and negative prophetic potential that would both determine and explain the plight of Israel's descendants in the future. End of quote. Now stop and think. God is saying to Israel, if you choose idols, your grandchildren will pay for it. And your great-grandchildren will pay for it to the third and to the fourth generation. And then he, later on, Psalms would have been written 
Psalms 115, 135, those who make idols and those who trust idols become like them. Israel's future involved a hard heart due to the rebellion of their parents or grandparents. Maybe hard for us to grasp and comprehend. But that's what happened to Israel. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. <coughs> Leviticus chapter 26. We're not going to read the entire chapter, but look at verse 1 of Leviticus 26. Do not make idols or set up an image or sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord, your God. Clearly stated. Skip down to verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all the commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring upon you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and drain away your life. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will even f flee even when no one is pursuing you. Look at verse 30. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols, and I will abhor you. Look at verse 36. As for those of you who are left, I will make their hearts so fearful in the land of their enemies that the sound of a wind-blown leaf will put them to flight. They will run as though fleeing from the sword, and they will fall, even though no one is pursuing them. Now, this is written to God's chosen people whom he had redeemed from Egypt. The curse of God's judgment results in physical and spiritual degeneration and death. When immediate death does not take place, Human disorientation occurs in the form of dehumanization, hardening, and sens sensory malfunction so that they don't function at all. Now, this is addressed to God's chosen people whom he had delivered and redeemed out of Egypt. Let's go to Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Chapter 28, Deuteronomy chapter 28. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 28. <clears throat> and again, we're leaping into the context, I understand that. <clears throat> but reading verses 64 and 65. This is in the context of curses for disobedience. 
Deuteronomy 28, 64 and 65. Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your feet. There the Lord will give you anxious, give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. Skip over to chapter 29, beginning with verse 16. 29 and verse 16. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way there. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of these, those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. And then he goes on to describe some other items. Again, written to God's chosen people. Those that he had redeemed out of Egypt. There's parallels between Deuteronomy 29 and Psalm 135. In Deuteronomy 29, the idolater is portrayed as a breaker of the covenant. One's heart who has turned away from the Lord. Turning away from the Lord by violating the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Psalm 115 and 135 would call for a rededication to the covenant. That is, the Mosaic covenant. But there's a hardening pattern. The eventual recipient of hardening disregards Yahweh or the Lord's past saving acts that he performed for the deliverance of his covenant people. That would be Israel. They disregarded the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> the offender breaks a covenant by committing idolatry. The offender conforms to paganism and its many manifestations, politically, religiously, socially, ethically. Hardening of the heart, sensory depletion, and spiritual deadening occurs. The offender suffers exile as God's divinely enforced punishment for defiant violation of his covenant. So that's the history of Israel. And what happened as they moved away from God. And that is why Isaiah, when he had his vision of God, and the Lord says, you know, who will go for me and so on. But in Isaiah 6, 9 through 11, the Lord says, go, to, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understand, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused and make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. 
Isaiah was going to speak to a people who would hear but never understand. They would see but never perceive because the heart had become calloused and hard. And the reason it had become calloused and hard was because they walked away from the Mosaic law. The result of idolatry was a hardening. You will find, we won't turn there, but you'll find the same true in Jeremiah chapter 5, where people would hear, but they wouldn't understand. And God is speaking of his chosen earthly people, Israel. It's a foundational premise, which we mentioned earlier. One who makes idols and trusts in idols becomes like them. See, idols don't hear, they can't speak. Israel did not hear, and so on, because they gave in to idols. Hardening to the heart comes as a sentence for idolatry. People who practice idolatry come to the point of hearing, but never understanding, seeing, but never perceiving. Again, Lord willing, in several weeks, we'll look at Genesis chapter 3, what I think is the second case or second situation of idolatry in the universe. You say, when did the first come? The first came when Lucifer fell from heaven. Then we have Lucifer, who is an idolater, tempting Adam and Eve to become idolaters. And you'll see a pattern that Lucifer followed, or the serpent, I should say, followed in seeking to lure Adam and Eve away from God. And you'll see that same pattern followed in the nation of Israel, which we touched on briefly. And I would pose a question. Does the same premise that we just stated hold true for the body of Christ today? Can the body of Christ, the professing body of Christ, hear but not understand? See but not perceive? I'll give a brief answer. As you look at Revelation 2 and 3, it seems like it's very possible. Because Revelation 2 and 3 contains, you know, the exhortation to the seven churches in Asia Minor and to five of them, He said, you know, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And if you don't listen, I'll remove your candlestick. In the New Testament, you will find that what is mentioned in the Old Testament and taught in the Old Testament about idols carries through in the New Testament. The same dangers, the body of Christ, being open to the same potential falling into, maybe not so much bowing down to idols, but heart idols. But in the religious community today, 
You don't have to drive but a few miles from our building to see idols. And the longer the Lord tarries in our country, in the religious community, the more and more actual idols you see. Because we have more and more religions coming into our world that actually follow seeing idols. But in the professing body of Christ, there's a tremendous temptation toward heart idols. we become like our heart idols. And I'll close with an, an example. In America, most everything that is communicated is communicated by sound bites. So what do you mean by sound bites? A little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit elsewhere. If you watch a half-hour program, you don't see a half-hour program. Every, I'm not sure how many minutes, there's got to be commercial. I call them sound bites. You get a few minutes of a program, then you get commercial, then you get a few minutes of program, you get a commercial. You turn on your computer, <clears throat> And most of the computer is sound bites. A little bit here, a little bit there. You watch the news. The news is basically sound bites. They tell you what they want you to hear. They give their slant on the news. But it's in sound bites. It comes very brief. They don't take a half an hour to explain what is happening in Africa. You don't even hear about Africa. We say about how many are killed in Syria, some 1,500 by chemical warfare. There have been literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands Africans killed in the last two years, and you haven't heard a word. But it's sound bites. You say, how does that influence a Christian community? And we willfully expose ourselves to that, and we want God to give us sound bites. Ah, oh, just give me a little bit here. Give me a five-minute, no, two-minute devotional here and a quick reading of Scripture here and a two-minute Bible reading here rather than being willing to say to a Sunday school teacher, this 45-minute class is too short. How about two hours next week? You know, I get about five minutes to read my Bible. It's just not enough to really ponder and meditate, you know. Maybe I didn't need to take a half an hour to read my Bible. You know, I'll turn off the soundbite TV and I'll take a half hour to read my Bible. You see how we become like what we worship. And I'm not saying all of us here worship that way. I'm just saying in our culture, we live in a soundbite culture. And the Christian community, to a large extent, has become a soundbite community. If next Sunday morning 
At the beginning of my sermon, I just said, I want you to know I'm going to have a two-hour sermon today. I will get some pretty quick responses. I don't plan to do that. There are parts of the world that when someone speaks for two hours, the people say, is that all? See, our culture influences us deeply, and I'm not going saying we have to have a two-hour sermon or anything like that. I'm just saying our culture influences the body. We become like what we worship, and I'm not condemning TV. I'm not condemning the news or anything else. I'm just saying beware of how our, our culture can influence us. See, we have drive-through churches now. We have many sermons. We got to have fast-moving services because we become like what we worship. 